evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A bridge in Pittsburgh collapses just hours before President Biden arrives in the city to promote his infrastructure bill. A leaked video shows people who may be illegal immigrants being flown into New York State. As yet, no explanation from the White House. Pennsylvania judges rule that no excuse mail-in voting is unconstitutional. Former President Trump celebrates the decision, but the state immediately appeals the ruling. Thousands of police officers gathered in New York City for a final farewell to a fallen officer. He was shot and killed last week while responding to a domestic disturbance call. And a powerful nor'easter is expected to hit the East Coast this evening, and snow snowfall could be greater than 12 inches. New York and New Jersey have both issued warnings. A bridge in the city of Bridges suddenly collapsed today. The accident struck just hours before President Biden visited Pittsburgh. Here are the details. Pittsburgh's Fern Hollow Bridge collapsed at around 7 a.m. this morning. It left four people hospitalized, 10 injured, and caused a large gas leak. The accident gave President Biden, who was on his way to Pittsburgh, an opportunity to emphasize the importance of infrastructure spending. I'm speechless standing here, I, I'm, uh, and it's, it completely collapsed and fell about 60 feet down into uh, to Frick Park here. The situation was quickly under control by noon when President Biden visited the site. And we're going we're gonna to fix them all. Not a joke. This is going to be a gigantic change, and there's 43,000 nationwide, and we're sending the money. Biden was scheduled today to speak about the bipartisan infrastructure deal, which was passed last year. Biden says the country also needs to spend more in research and development while other countries are catching up. The United States of America used to be ranked number one in the world in investing in the future. Now we rank number nine in research and development. China was number eight three decades ago. Today it's number two. Two top Democrat candidates of Pennsylvania did not attend the president's speech, citing a scheduling conflict. And the White House has not yet offered an explanation for that leaked video of alleged illegal immigrants being flown into New York, an operation that was supposed to be kept quiet, according to a person in the video. Let's take a look. This 51-minute video released this week was obtained through a Freedom of Information request and published by the New York Post. Former county executive and now Republican candidate for governor, Rob Astorino, made the request. It's body cam footage from a Westchester County police officer. In the background, a plane that flew in from El Paso, Texas, hours earlier, dropping off a flight of what appeared to be illegal immigrants in New York State. And the policemen at the airport have questions. On a, a secure facility here, and, and we don't really know anything, and we're in charge of security. And, and, and what happens when they when they go on their bus? They're meeting with specific people. Okay. okay. And the message from a self-proclaimed government contractor involved in the operation. But DHS wants everything yeah. on the download. Technically. We're not supposed to show IDs or anything like that. Like I said, everything's supposed to be hush-hush. NTD has reached out to the White House for comment on this, but we haven't heard back yet. 
This leaked video comes as Border Czar Vice President Harris this week vowed to tighten up relations with Honduras, a country that is one of the largest sources of migrants coming to the U.S. And if they leave, it is usually because they are either fleeing harm or they simply cannot satisfy their basic needs or their families' needs if they stay. Harris's plan for quelling the border crisis is to deal with what she calls the root causes of migration. So she's calling for increased investment in Central America. The U.S. has already sent hundreds of millions of dollars to the Northern Triangle for humanitarian assistance. And Harris started a call to action fund to collect money from private companies to further invest in the area. The total is now over $1.2 billion. Now Harris is betting on the new president, a democratic socialist, to root out corruption and make good use of the U.S. dollars sent to make the country better. We are committed with our democratic socialism proposal to lay the foundations of a head-on battle against corruption so that these facts that have shamed us will never again be repeated. The area of cooperation and work that we will do together on economic prosperity will be pivotal to that issue, in particular irregular migration. And just this week, House Democrats sent a letter to Secretary of State Antony Blinken urging him to strengthen U.S.-Honduras relations. But there are some critics of this approach for handling the migration issue. How will it play out in the end? Well, only time will tell. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Voters in Pennsylvania will need a valid reason to vote by mail in future elections. The Commonwealth Court today struck down a state law that allows no-excuse mail-in voting. NTD's Allison Lee has the details. The Commonwealth Court of Pennsylvania ruled on Friday that the state's no-excuse mail-in voting law violates the state constitution, so lawmakers cannot adopt no-excuse mail-in voting without a constitutional amendment. Three Republican judges opted to strike down the law, while two Democratic judges dissented. The court's majority opinion says, if presented to the people, a constitutional amendment is likely to be adopted, but a constitutional amendment must be presented to the people and adopted into our fundamental law before legislation authorizing no-excuse mail-in voting can be placed upon our statute books. Governor Tom Wolf, a Democrat, signed the law in 2019. Pennsylvania has used no-excuse mail-in voting four times. During the 2020 general elections, state courts ruled to allow mail-in ballots to be counted up to three days after Election Day, and more than 2.6 million Pennsylvanians voted by mail in the 2020 elections. Former President Trump celebrated Friday's court ruling, saying in a statement, Big news out of Pennsylvania, great patriotic spirit is developing at a level that nobody thought possible. The Pennsylvania Inquirer reports that the state quickly appealed the decision to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. So the law remains in place while the high court considers the appeal. Allison Lee, NTD News. President Biden's narrowed the pool of his potential Supreme Court nominees to black women. His identity-based approach may fulfill his campaign promise, but critics say it punishes candidates for their ancestry. NTD's Miguel Moreno reports. People are speculating about President Biden's potential pick for Supreme Court nominee. If Biden sticks to his campaign promise, the possibilities can be narrowed by two characteristics, sex and race. And that person will be the first black woman 
ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. Biden also said that the black female nominee would be someone of extraordinary qualifications and character. But the president's identity-based approach has drawn criticism and invigorated the debate on affirmative action. But the people are beyond that. Ward Connerly, an activist against racial preference policies, is president at the American Civil Rights Institute. In an interview with NTD's The Nation Speaks, he said Biden's identity-based approach has been rejected in California. That was in 2020, when Californians rejected a measure that would have let schools turn people away or give them preferential treatment based on race, sex, and other bodily characteristics. And uh, there are a lot, of, a lot of other people that are equally qualified, even more so in some cases, than whatever hypothetical black woman he's going to find. I have no problem with him appointing a black woman if she happened to be the top candidate after some sort of due diligence that, uh, that he would perform. But that's not going to happen. Reverend Al Sharpton, a well-established civil rights activist, says he expects Biden to keep his promise. In a statement, he said, there are many black women in the judicial system more than qualified to be nominated. The president says he'll reveal Justice Stephen Breyer's potential replacement by the end of February. Miguel Moreno, NTD News. And you can watch the rest of Connerly's interview on NTD's The Nation Speaks this Saturday. The Olympic Games in Beijing are just a few days away, and many are planning to boycott. Some, including a congressman, spoke at a rally today about the Chinese Communist Party's crimes against humanity. NTD's Jason Perry was there. Democratic Congressman Tom Swazi is sending a letter to the International Olympic Committee asking that Olympic athletes and coaches be protected if they speak out against human rights abuses in China. Right now, we know that there are human rights violations that include forced labor, that includes mass surveillance, that includes forced assimilation, mass detentions, sexual violence, forced sterilization, forced abortions in some cases, false imprisonment, and the suppression of freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and freedom of religion. Tersenay Ziwayudin is a Uyghur camp survivor. She spoke using a translator. So I'm witness for everything. I see it, people die. I see it, people torturing everything. So 70 years ago, the Holocaust is happening in Berlin, but now it is happening in uh, Eastern Turkestan. Thank you. She said while in the camp, they removed her ovaries. And she wants to know why the Olympic Committee allowed the Olympic Games to be held in China. Nicole Isaac marched for democracy in Hong Kong in 2019. Authorities are now banning marches under the guise of COVID restrictions. They've criminalized political slogans such as this. They've censored art, banned books, and erased memory. This sounds more like mainland China or an Orwellian dystopia, but no, this is Hong Kong today. Tashi Lamshan says the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, is responsible for killing peaceful Tibetan protesters during the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. Since then, at least 167 Tibetans have self-immolated to protest against Chinese brutality in Tibet. Another man shared a personal story with NTD. My grandfather was actually 
sent to one of these camps targeted for being an intellectual or cultural figure and shortly after being released uh, he passed away uh, due to the neglect and lack of medical care and cruel treatment uh, he was a 70 year old man with health conditions that were not treated during his time in there and as he just um, he passed away and we found out 11 days later through a Facebook post. They held the rally in front of the United Nations headquarters building because they want the world to know about the genocide being performed by the Chinese Communist Party. Jason Perry, NTD News, New York. Is Russia about to invade Ukraine? The Pentagon said today it's not inevitable, but that Russia still poses a danger. The Ukrainian leader, meanwhile, says sowing panic does not help his country. There is still time and space for diplomacy. Top Pentagon officials on Friday said a Russian invasion of Ukraine is not inevitable, or at least at this point in time. Well, we don't believe that President Putin has made a final decision to use these forces against Ukraine. He clearly now has that capability. That capability, they said, allows Russia to invade the whole country. Uh, this is larger in scale and scope uh, in the massing of forces than anything we have seen um, uh, in recent memory. And I think you'd have to go back quite a while into the Cold War days to see something of this magnitude. The Ukrainian president, however, is calling on Western leaders and the media to avoid sowing panic. I do not want Ukraine to be part of some agreement between President Biden and President Putin. He added that the escalation has happened already and that Ukraine has been under occupation for eight years. We are surviving now and we want to get back our territories and stop the war. President Biden warned Zelensky during a Thursday phone call that there is a distinct possibility that Russia could invade in February. Zelensky said Biden assured him that no decision will be made behind Ukraine's back. Russia, meanwhile, insisted on Friday, if it depends on Russia, then there will be no war. The foreign minister said he expects to meet with U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken in the next couple of weeks. Today, thousands of New York City police officers lined Manhattan's Fifth Avenue to honor a fellow officer who was shot and killed last week while responding to a call about a family dispute. NTD's Chenny Wu brings us the details. Thousands of police officers lined the pews here at St. Patrick's Cathedral to honor fallen officer Jason Rivera, who was gunned down with his partner last week. Officers came from near and far Friday to honor 22-year-old Rivera, who was posthumously promoted to detective. Today, we salute police officer Jason Rivera for the last time. Rivera was barely into his second year of service on the force and was recently married to his childhood sweetheart, Dominique Luzuriaga. Seeing you in a hospital bed wrapped up in sheets, not hearing you when I was talking to you, broke me. At the funeral, Luzuriaga called out Manhattan's newly elected district attorney, Alvin Bragg, over his hands-off approach to prosecuting crime. We are not safe anymore. Not even the members of the service. I hope he's watching you speak through me right now. Directing the words at Bragg, who was sitting a few yards away in the pews. Rivera's partner, Officer Wilbert Mora, was also fatally wounded last Friday while they responded to a domestic violence call. Mora's funeral is set for next week, also at St. Patrick's. 
The gunman, who was shot down by a third officer, died earlier this week. Authorities are still investigating why he opened fire on the officers. Chenny Wu, NTD News, New York. And as the two slain NYPD officers were laid to rest today, a teen charged with shooting another NYPD officer walks free. The 16-year-old suspect was let out on bond yesterday, and police say they are outraged. Meanwhile, six more law enforcement officers have been shot over a 48-hour period following the alarming trend of increased violence against officers. NTD's Grace Coulter has the details. 16-year-old aspiring rapper Cameron Williams was charged with shooting an NYPD officer in the Bronx on January 18th. On Thursday, he walked free on bond. Williams posted his $250,000 bond after being held at a juvenile facility in Brooklyn. He allegedly shot Officer Kasim Pennant during a scuffle with police as he was being arrested. The bullet wounded both Pennant and Williams, hitting him in the groin. Just one month prior to the incident, Williams was placed on probation for gun possession. In a statement, the president of NYPD Police Benevolent Association, Patrick Lynch, called Williams's bail release disgraceful. He blamed such releases for the rise in violence in New York City, as well as the recent killing of two police officers. Lynch wrote, shame on Judge Dennis Boyle for allowing this to happen. The people of the Bronx won't be safe as long as he's on the bench. Boyle, a Bronx Supreme Court judge, has previously been accused of being overly lenient, particularly with young defendants. In a statement Thursday, state court officials claimed Lynch's anger is misdirected and said it should instead be aimed at those who make the laws. State lawmakers are also facing criticism for passing bail reform measures that bar judges from setting bail on misdemeanors and non-violent felonies. Under New York law, Williams was eligible for bail. Recent FBI data shows 2021 was the deadliest year for police officers in 20 years. And unfortunately, this trend of violence appears to be continuing into 2022. Three police officers were shot in Houston, Texas on Thursday night, as well as a sheriff's deputy in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Meanwhile, two police officers were shot in St. Louis, Missouri, Wednesday afternoon. That's six officers shot in less than 48 hours. All of the officers were hospitalized. Only one, from St. Louis, is in critical condition, fighting for his life. Grace Coulter, NTD News. The East Coast braces for a powerful nor'easter. New York and New Jersey have both announced a state of emergency for the upcoming winter storm. Snowfall could be greater than 12 inches along the East Coast. NTD's Jason Perry with that story. The path of a weekend nor'easter is becoming clearer. 75 million people from the southeast to New England may face a dangerous heavy snowstorm. And the winds are expected to approach hurricane intensity with the potential to knock out power and flood coastal areas. Jano Lieber, head of the New York City's Metropolitan Transportation Authority, said the Long Island Railroad is likely to shut down Friday night. While New York Governor Kathy Hochul warned, quote, just stay off the roads. And in New Jersey, all bus lines and some train lines are already canceled for Saturday morning, but service is anticipated to resume later in the day as soon as it is safe to do so. Both New York and New Jersey have declared states of emergency. The storm will start in the Carolinas and rapidly strengthen as it moves north up the east coast overnight. 
The National Weather Service predicts the whiteout conditions will make travel difficult to impossible. Sustained winds in New York City will be around 25 to 35 miles per hour, with wind gusts reaching 50 miles per hour. Jason Perry, NTD News. Coming up, the Los Angeles Police Department announced that firearms were in the list of stolen goods from recently robbed trains. One expert says consumers are the ones who are hurt the most. The Rittenhouse trial is over, but the case is ongoing. Legal teams met once again today, and the gun used by Rittenhouse received its sentence. That and more on NTD News. An update on the train robberies in Southern California. The Los Angeles Police Department chief confirms that weapons are among the stolen goods. Along with the danger stolen weapons bring, an expert said this could cause further disruptions to the supply chain. LAPD Chief Michael Moore confirmed in an online meeting on January 25th that thieves stole a number of firearms from cargo containers during a train robbery. Our attention was first drawn to this, uh, these instances of thefts by what we, what we later determined through an arrest of an individual in the possession of a firearm that people were looting or, or breaking these containers and stealing firearms, uh, tens of firearms. The train was in the Lincoln Heights neighborhood when thieves struck. An LAPD spokesperson said that they estimated 82 guns had been stolen. So far, only two have been recovered. Uh, that gave us a significant concern as a source of, again, of, of further violence in the city as people were capitalizing on uh, the transport of these, uh, of, of these containers with having little or no uh, policing or security uh, services there. As of January 26th, various agencies have arrested 122 individuals related to cargo theft. The vice president of CargoNet, an industry organization dedicated to preventing cargo theft, said many containers are poorly secured. Keith Lewis told the Epic Times that railroad cars, containers, and trailers are often only sealed with a piece of plastic or metal. The containers often do not have any other security devices. His company observed that California is the most targeted state for this form of theft. 250 cases were recorded in 2021. The top five targeted cities are all in Southern California. Los Angeles comes in second for most thefts. Lewis said that the cost of stealing products, including high-end electronics, falls on the consumers. He described it as the cost below the iceberg, as it's the cost that can't be seen. He said, with any disruption in the supply chain, there's a cost to the end consumer. The trial of Kyle Rittenhouse ended some time ago, but a few particulars are still being settled. The AR-15 used by the defendant, for example, received its sentence today. NTD's Miguel Moreno has that story. On Friday, Kyle Rittenhouse's lawyers and prosecutor convened in the same courtroom that once held the nation's attention for weeks. The defendant has been acquitted of all charges, but his defense, the state, and other parties had unfinished business. The parties, uh, the defense, the state, and also Dominic Black, who purchased that firearm, have all signed off on a stipulation whereby the Kenosha Police Department and Joint Services will destroy that firearm as well as the magazine and the scope. Judge Bruce Schroeder, who presided over the trial, approved the agreement sealing the fate of the AR-15 that was used to shoot three people, killing two. The jury found that the defendant acted in self-defense. 
Kenosha County Assistant District Attorney Thomas Binger says the gun's destruction will be recorded. A copy of the recording should then be sent to the defense. At the same hearing, the judge ordered county officials to return Rittenhouse's $2 million bail. It is set to be split between his defense and a charity that helped raise the money. Miguel Moreno, NTD News. Only four teams are left in the NFL playoffs, and this weekend's conference championship games will determine who will play in the Super Bowl. NTD's Dave Martin previews the games. This weekend's games both feature underdogs who weren't expected to get this far, Cincinnati and San Francisco. In the NFC, few would have guessed that neither Tom Brady nor Aaron Rodgers would be this far. Instead, the 49ers improbably won a pair of road games in Dallas and Green Bay to get to this round. Although the Rams' run defense is fourth best in the NFL, the Niners have had success running against them in the two games they've played this year. But they'll need all-pro tackle Trent Williams, who has missed practice this week with an ankle sprain, to be healthy. On the Rams' side, they have the better team on paper, and they've mortgaged their future to get here. L.A. traded two first-round picks for corner Jalen Ramsey, two first-rounders for Matt Stafford, and then two second-rounders for linebacker Vaughn Miller. And it's been worth it. But Stafford has thrown four picks in two games against the Niners this year. Meanwhile, in Kansas City, the Chiefs could be in for a classic letdown game against the surprising Bengals. After winning the last two AFC championships and then gutting out a thrilling win over the Bills, it could be a challenge to get up for a team that hasn't been this far in more than three decades. Meanwhile, Joe Burrow's 62 times sacked this season are more than anyone who's advanced to this round. Dave Martin, NTD News, New York. The Winter Olympics is less than one week away, and one of the events in the Games will be curling. You may have watched it on TV, but do you know the rules? Some Olympic fans in D.C. got a chance to try their hand at it, and it turns out to be pretty hard. Let's take a look. Dwarf District in Washington, D.C. is offering an event called curling and cocktails. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it like they do in the Olympics, I hope. Residents get to take to the ice and play a winter sport that many have watched, but few have tried. I watch it every year in the Olympics, and every year I think, I think I could do that. And it turns out I cannot. <laughs> I tried really hard. It's harder than it looks. Her friend agreed, having taken a painful tumble on the ice. I think my knees are going to be a little sore in the morning, but uh, I think it's a great lesson in friction or lack thereof. Uh, and I think it's all good. I think we'll all be okay. Uh, I don't think anything's too hurt or damaged. Curling is related to bowls, bocce, and shuffleboard and was first played in late medieval Scotland. The Wharf introduced this event during the last Winter Olympics, which took place in 2018. And the event proved popular. I know everybody thinks of Olympics when they think curling, um, and that's when we first started, was the last Winter Olympics. Um, it's just a really fun way to get out on the ice, especially if you're not inclined to skate. You can come out here and goof around. Each team has one player to throw the stone and two teammates to sweep the ice. The goal is to deliver the stone as close as possible to the center of the target area. The team with the stone closest to the center scores a point. A match takes place over 10 so-called ends, with each team having eight stones per end. Now that I know everything there is to know about curling, I will absolutely uh, pay more attention when the, when the Olympics roll around. Participants say the experience has given them a newfound appreciation for the professional teams. 
Coming up, shipping delays in Southern California are still much higher than usual, according to a recent report. Containers are sitting idle on shore, and the queue line is almost 100 ships long. And a college freshman has been creating Twitter bots that track the whereabouts of high-profile planes, including Elon Musk's private jet. Now the Tesla CEO is offering the student five grand to take down the account. That and more on NTD News. report says goods have sat on the ground at the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach for over a week at a time. The report says the December delays were at an all-time high. According to the Pacific Merchant Shipping Association, cargo containers sat at the Southern California ports for an average of eight days. The report, published on Thursday, says the containers are unloaded then sit idle at the twin ports. The December delay time is about half a day faster than the wait times in November. Jessica Alvarenga, the manager of the shipping association, wrote in a press release that while container dwell time did not worsen in the month of December, it was still high. She added that before the pandemic, the average wait time for containers to leave on trucks was three days. She cited transportation disruption and warehouse availability as the cause for delays. While the containers idle on the shores, ships wait in lines off the coast. The Marine Exchange of Southern California tracks cargo ships traveling to the port. The director, Kip Laudit, told the Epic Times that they observed seven ships anchored within sight of Los Angeles on January 26th. Another 92 ships were queued up 50 miles from the coast of California and Mexico. Ships wait on average 13 days to dock, according to the Port of Los Angeles. More than 11,000 containers have waited nine or more days at the port as of January 27th. Several major pharmaceutical companies are set to give part of a $26 billion settlement to certain Californian cities and counties. The state's attorney general announced that the payment is due to the companies fueling the widespread opioid epidemic in the state. Big Pharma is set to pay out for its involvement in the opioid epidemic. The announcement of the settlement comes after years of investigation from multiple states across the United States. Once finalized, this settlement with the nation's three largest pharmaceutical distributors, Cardinal, McKesson, and Amerisource Bergen, and Johnson & Johnson, a manufacturer, will help bring desperately needed relief to people in California and across the country who are struggling with opioid addiction. The payout comes after state attorneys investigated whether the three distribution companies failed to refuse suspicious opioid shipment requests from certain pharmacies. The investigation also focused on whether Johnson & Johnson misled patients and doctors about the addictive nature of opioids. Opioids are powerful pain relievers which include drugs such as morphine, heroin, and fentanyl. 400 California cities and counties have signed onto the settlement, accounting for over 90% of eligible areas. Attorney General Rob Bonda said the state is expected to receive $2 billion as its share of the settlement. Bonta joined attorney generals from 13 other states in the case. This epidemic has torn families apart. It has overwhelmed local health systems. It has mangled city and county budgets. Once finalized, nearly 4,000 lawsuits across the United States will come to a close. The companies have until February 25th to decide if they will proceed with the deal.
The three distributors would begin to pay in April while Johnson & Johnson would pay in July. Under the settlement, the distributors will pay up to $21 billion over 18 years. Johnson & Johnson will pay $5 billion over 9 years. State and local government participation will determine the exact payment amount. A tech-savvy college freshman is in the spotlight after he was offered money to close down a Twitter account. Elon Musk asked the student to take down an online program that actively tracked the billionaire's plane. The tech CEO saying he has safety concerns. NTD's David Lamb reports. Each year, the Federal Aviation Administration handles over 16 million flights, and airplane flight data is available to the public. Tesla CEO Elon Musk messaged 19-year-old Jack Sweeney to shut down one of the student's Twitter accounts. He said it was a security concern and he wanted to take it down. And then we talked about how it works and like what he should do. And then he offered me the five grand and then I, you know, asked for other stuff. Sweeney told NTD he's a fan of Musk and aviation. He built a flight tracking Twitter bot called Elon Jet that tweets where Musk's jet takes off and land. I mean, yeah, there's some part of it, but I don't think it's that big, really. I mean, he has a whole security team and they're advanced and, you know, they tell people to back away. It's not like there's a huge crowd that I've seen. Um, well, it started in June 2020 during like the pandemic, so there's a lot of free time. And it wasn't that great at the beginning, but, you know, I just started adding more features as I figured stuff out. In November 2021, Musk and Sweeney exchanged messages with Sweeney counter-offering with a Tesla or 50 grand to take down the account. He says he only made $20 a month on the account. Musk said he's thinking about it. So Sweeney says he's willing to help Musk make it harder to track the tech guru. And so I asked him if he wanted to talk about it over a call and then he said, uh, I, don't want, I don't think it's right to pay to take this down. Sweeney is also tracking many other planes, including those of Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Air Force One and Two. The college freshman, who studies information technology in Florida, says he coded the bots using public flight data from ADSB Exchange. ADSB Exchange is an online source of unfiltered flight data. They track over 10,000 aircrafts. Dan Stroyfurt, the founder, told NTD that Sweeney just unpacked the data and didn't charge for it, but other organizations would sell the data for six to seven figures to private companies and government agencies. Stroyfurt said that with his team, we have successfully tracked warlords accused of war crimes and provided information to search and rescue organizations and more. As of Friday, the Elon Jet account has over 130,000 followers. Sweeney said in the future he may have subscription-based access for certain planes or make a live website. David Lamb, NTD News, California. Coming up, the people attending the upcoming Super Bowl in Los Angeles will need to wear KN95 masks. That's as California continues to require masks for indoor public settings. Most of the free masks and testing kits are made in China. And a major region in Spain drops its vaccine passport requirement for public venues. Health experts tell the government that such requirements have been ineffective at curbing Omicron. Stay tuned for more here on NTD News.
California continues to require people to wear masks in places like schools, government buildings, and the upcoming Super Bowl. Critics note that many government-issued masks and test kits are made in China. NTD's Eileen Ang has more details. The Los Angeles County Public Health Director said fans going to the Super Bowl on February 13th must wear KN95 masks while at the SoFi Stadium, unless they are eating or drinking. The masks, which are made in China, will be distributed along with the usual COVID protocols. We have hundreds of thousands of people coming to L.A. every single day from all across the world to enjoy everything that L.A. has to offer. But we also expect when people come here, and this will hold true for the Super Bowl fans and our guests who come to enjoy L.A. during Super Bowl week, uh, they, they need to follow the public health safety requirements uh, when they're here. In addition, the NFL and county health officials said they would host a vaccination clinic and provide free tests at the Los Angeles Convention Center in the run-up to the game. This comes after the California Department of Public Health extended the masking requirement for all indoor public settings until February 15th. Specifically, surgical masks or higher-level respirators like N95, KN95, and KF94. Students are also required to wear surgical masks in school. Earlier this month, the governor's office announced that the at-home test kits, many of which are also made in China, have arrived to be sent to county offices of education. In April 2020, Governor Gavin Newsom spent $1 billion of taxpayer funds to buy 200 million masks a month from the Chinese company BYD. The company is known for making electric vehicles, but switched to making personal protective equipment. According to its website, BYD is FDA-approved. When made-in-China KN95 masks were distributed to Congress, a Florida congressman questioned whether or not Speaker Pelosi knew Florida is making 2 million N95 masks a day, employing 350 Americans. Eileen Ang, NTD News, California. A 70-year-old Hong Kong flower farmer reveals that half of his crops are about to go up in flames. That's 100,000 fresh flowers in perfect condition. Why is that? because the Hong Kong government closed the markets. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has that story. Flower farmer Leong Yat-sun has burned thousands of blossoms this year, all because he can't sell them fast enough. That's due to Hong Kong's stringent measures against the Omicron variant, which have cut Lunar New Year demand in half. 70-year-old Leong runs a traditional flower farm, growing sword lilies, water lilies, and tulips. He had planted 200,000 flowers ahead of the Lunar New Year holiday season. But due to the crash in demand, about half will end up in flames. These beautiful flowers are completely healthy, and I would normally pick them and bring them to the market. Look how pretty they are. But due to the epidemic, this year there is no flower market at all. Hong Kong's government announced earlier in January that traditional Lunar New Year flower fairs in around 15 districts would remain closed this year. Later, locations traditionally used by wholesalers were also put under traffic restrictions. Government figures show compensation has been offered to license holders of the Lunar New Year flower fairs. But Leong said he has received nothing as a farmer. It is a horrible burden to go through, but I cannot just talk about how bad it is for me. I have to power ahead and hope that tomorrow will be better. 
The Chinese Communist Party virus, which causes COVID-19, has turned Hong Kong into one of the world's most isolated cities. Residents returning there from more than 160 countries are required to quarantine for 14 days, followed by seven days of self-monitoring. Hong Kong reported nearly 170 new infections on Thursday, a record high since the pandemic started. A number of European countries are easing their pandemic restrictions, including vaccine passport programs. People in Barcelona no longer have to show proof of vaccination to enter most public venues. And in Austria, they've ended their lockdown for the unvaccinated. The Catalonia region in Spain, which is home to the city of Barcelona, dropped vaccine passport requirements on Friday. Residents no longer have to show proof of vaccination to enter places like restaurants, bars and gyms, but nightclubs have to remain closed. I feel relieved, a sense of relief, seeing that those restrictions imposed during the past months are being partially lifted. The regional government cites health experts who say that mandatory health passes have not been effective at curbing the spread of Omicron. And now Spanish authorities will try to deal with the virus in much the same way countries deal with flu or measles. That means accepting that there will be infections and providing extra care for people at risk. The outdoor mask mandate remains in place. To be honest, when they made compulsory wearing face masks outdoors, I didn't follow the rule. Those who were fined were later pardoned by the government. Meanwhile, the Austrian government announces that they are ending the lockdown for the unvaccinated on Monday, January 31st. And at the same time, we see both the capacity in the hospitals and the intensive care bed capacity in Austria remain stable. And because of this, the lockdown for the unvaccinated will end this coming Monday. The lockdown for the unvaccinated began in mid-November. Those people are not allowed to leave their homes except to buy essential items or to work. If things stay as stable as they are now and the infection figures go down, then we are convinced that we are on the way to getting rid of the restrictions. But even after the lockdown ends, unvaccinated residents are still barred from a range of activities, such as eating in restaurants or shopping for non-essential items. Allison Lee, NTD News. Two separate research teams in Denmark and in the UK say they have been able to identify animals by sampling the air in zoos and pinpointing their DNA. It's thought the technique could help conservationists monitor biodiversity. NTD's Neil Woodrow has more details. Some of the wildlife in this tropical house at Copenhagen Zoo might be hard to spot, but the results of new research allows animals to be identified by sampling the air. After fixing a fan and a sensitive filter to a tree, the fan slowly draws in air from the zoo and its surroundings, some of which contains genetic material. Associate Professor Christine Bowman is leading a team at the University of Copenhagen. Over the last more than a decade, we've realized that this environmental DNA is more or less everywhere. So for instance, you can take a water sample from a lake and you can figure out what fish are in the lake. And now we've taken this one step further and realized, well, if water is surrounding everything in a lake and we can use that to detect, for instance, the fish in there, well, on land, air surrounding everything. Bowman's team conducted a similar experiment last year. What we found was that we can not only detect the animals that are kept here at the zoo, 
We could also detect even species that are used to feed the animals here in the zoo. The zoological director says the technique could be used to track animals in the wild. If you look for a giraffe in an open savanna, that's fairly easy. But if you look for something like a tapir like this, not in a, in a pen like this, but in dense rainforest, it's immensely difficult. Um, we followed the tapir for 20 years in, in Malaysia and found very few of them with camera traps and so on. If this works in a greater scale, it'll revolutionize the way we look at rainforest animals. While Bowman and her team were sampling zoo air in Copenhagen, a separate research team from London was conducting similar experiments at Hamilton Zoo Park near Cambridge. They managed to detect DNA belonging to the Eurasian hedgehog, which is endangered in the UK. But there's still much the researchers don't know about the technique. We don't know how um, long the DNA of the animal stays airborne. We don't know if there's any difference between uh, animal groups. There might be animals that have different behavior and therefore maybe shedding more DNA. Bowman says more trials are needed, particularly out in the animal's natural environment. The studies were published in the journal Current Biology earlier this month. Neil Woodrow, NTD News. Coming up, a project in Sweden shows that automated drones can deliver defibrillators to patients faster than ambulances. And a former circus performer in Russia rescues neglected tigers from circuses and zoos. He sets up a shelter for them and names them after cars. Find out more here on NTD News. Twenty-time Grand Slam winner Rafael Nadal will try to make it a record 21 as he takes on Daniil Medvedev Sunday for the Men's Australian Open Championship. NTD's Dave Martin has more. Rafael Nadal is just one win away from breaking the three-way tie with Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer for the most all-time majors won. Standing in his way is second-ranked Daniil Medvedev, 10 years his junior, who just won his first major last fall at the U.S. Open. With just one career Australian Open championship, this is Nadal's least successful venue of the four majors. Yet he's made the finals now six times. Medvedev is simply trying to insert himself into a sport dominated by the same trio of stars for the last 15 years. Other than fellow youngster Dominic Thiem, who also has one Grand Slam win, no one else has had much success in doing so. The 25-year-old Medvedev finally broke through last fall in beating Djokovic at a major final for the first time. Meanwhile, Nadal missed both Wimbledon and the U.S. Open last year with a foot injury, but he now looks fully recovered. If you're looking at history, Nadal has beaten Medvedev three times in their four matches, though one was a five-set thriller at the 2019 U.S. Open Finals. The Australian Open men's finals will be played at 3.30 a.m. Eastern Time Sunday morning. Dave Martin, NTD News, New York. In the case of sudden cardiac arrest, experts say minutes can mean the difference between life or death. A project in Sweden is exploring the use of automated drones to deliver defibrillators to patients faster than ambulances or other traditional emergency services. NTD's Neil Woodrow has this report.
Swedish drone developer Everdrone have trialled using drones to deliver automated external defibrillators, or AEDs, to cardiac arrest patients, wherever they are, in a matter of minutes. With an autonomous system that uh, can start instantly and, uh, and has no uh, issues with traffic, will be much uh, faster on site than an ambulance. And... Uh, you still need an ambulance for, for, to take care of the patient, but, but if we can deliver the AED only a few minutes earlier, the, the, the gain is, is very large. Professor Andreas Kleesen says Sweden's emergency services receive reports of about 6,000 cardiac arrests a year, but only around 10% of those patients survive. About 70% of out-of-hospital cardiac arrests occur without a defibrillator nearby. We know that uh, if, it's, if it's possible to use an AD within the first three, five minutes, about 50% of all um, patients may survive. So um, uh, we need to find novel methods in order to deliver AEDs during the first minutes. The process begins like any other emergency. Calls to Sweden's emergency 112 number come to one of SOS Alarm's dispatch centres. If call handlers suspect a cardiac arrest and the patient is located in the trial area, a drone is dispatched along with more traditional emergency services. During a four-month study that began in February 2020, a total of 14 suspected cardiac arrest cases were eligible for drone delivery. In most cases, the drone arrived at the emergency site on average about two minutes earlier than the ambulance. It's expected to improve to three or four minutes earlier with refinements. Last December, the project had its first true success, playing a part in saving the life of a 71-year-old man. A doctor spotted the man collapsed on his driveway. He quickly diagnosed cardiac arrest and called the emergency services. After about one or two minutes, he spotted the drone. First, first I thought this, somebody's filming here, but at the same time from the alarm center said, here is your defibrillator, so just pick it up, okay? Everdrone's founder believes this service will become part of normal emergency services. So I see a future where, where you have these kind of systems everywhere, basically. And, um, and obviously there's other stuff you can deliver than IEDs uh, uh, that, that you need very quickly on an emergency site. Those behind the project say the application is best suited to suburban areas, far from city centre hospitals and with few high-rise buildings nearby. Neil Woodrow, NTD News. A former circus performer has switched from training big cats for entertainment to rescuing those that have been neglected by zoos and circuses. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Meet Aston. He's a resident of House of Tiger, a shelter for big cats in Siberia. Founded by former animal trainer Dimitri Kim and his veterinarian wife Yana Olenik, they rescue animals from domestic zoos and circuses across Russia. When they found Aston, he was sick and frightened. We were on tour in the Caucasus, and since my wife is a veterinarian, people asked us to help them with animals that were dying. Predators, tiger cubs. My wife could not stay indifferent. Oh, what kind of crocodile is eating me? And she said, we must buy out these animals, help them. So we handed over our car to a pawn shop and bought Aston, our very first cat. Kim has found a lot of owners don't care for their animals properly often treating them as simply a source of income or a toy, particularly if they're crossbreeds. 
They are hybrid or a cross, that is. They do not belong to any kind, like the Amur or Bengali tigers, that is. This is a cross, and they do not have a breeding value, so they are not needed. For nature, they are not returnable. Such animals most often find themselves in difficult situations because no one protects them. Kim had to sell a vehicle again to buy his second tiger, Rolls-Royce, from the south of Russia. Being a big lover of cars, the ex-trainer has named all his cats after car brands. So the shelter is also home to Tiger's Honda, Infinity, and Tesla. Some of them love people, some are calm with people, some maintain absolute neutrality, some just like to communicate with people. It is a big delusion that predators are fearless animals. In fact, these are the largest fearful cats that you can imagine. That is, something new always causes them fear. Kim and his wife used to perform in a circus and then ran their own show. But the pandemic pushed them to finally open the shelter as most performances were canceled. The couple has plans to move to a new territory with a larger area, where they can accommodate more animals that need help. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.